Welcome everyone to Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm your host, Christine Courtney. Our goal here is to give you some actionable takeaways that will help you lead your teams. Thanks for joining us on this leadership journey. Let's get started. This is Christine Courtney, host of Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm very excited today on the podcast to introduce to you one of our senior leaders, who is our Senior Director of Programming, Tom Armstrong, is in the house today. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Christine. Hi, everybody. And Tom is here because we are dealing with a top, listen to me, dealing with a topic of difficult conversations. (laughs) That's how everyone hears it in their mind. I'm going to say we're talking about transformative feedback, navigating conversations to improve performance. I'm going to say that. And what people hear is you brace yourself for a difficult conversation, right? Because feedback feels like it's going to be negative no matter what. So let me just put it on the table right now that we're talking in general about feedback that can transform workplaces, that can transform cultures, that can transform people, and that can certainly transform us as leaders. Often, those kinds of conversations feel difficult to us because of things that we've gone through, right? In our past or whatever, you know, our fears of not being perfect, whatever it is. So today we're going to focus because we only have so much time. We're going to talk about the idea of two of the main types of feedback, just to go over three types of feedback. One is very important and more important than ever is positive feedback that you give people and that that feedback is often and specific and authentic. So we're not talking about just blowing smoke. We're talking about noticing people, catching people doing something good. And then it's more important than ever in a hybrid work environment or over Zoom or Teams or Google Meet. It's more important than ever to look and find positive feedback to give people. Second kind of feedback are close to, if not in the moment feedback that are gentle little nudges of performance improvement that can happen based on your experience or something that you're noticing that you can help somebody with. And then the third type that we're going to talk about and we're going to really focus on today are those bigger conversations around performance improvement that have to happen, but be a little trickier for some reason to have, right? Because the stakes are higher. Maybe it feels harder. It's not just like, you know, a gentle little nudge. It's like something, a bigger pattern you're seeing in their performance or something that's maybe hard to describe, but you're really looking at how to improve somebody, but that maybe it's a blind spot that they see. So those are the three types. And if you are in a position where you think, oh, I don't have any direct reports, I don't have to give negative feedback, that's not true. Because one, you're in relationship with people. And so it could be a colleague, it could be a child, it could be a husband or a wife or a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever. It could also just be a friend, right? It could be anybody that you're in relationship with, but those are how to navigate those conversations. And one of the things that I appreciate about, somebody like Tom, who's here with us today, is he's done so many of these because of his role. He manages directly numbers of people in the double digits, he can probably tell you, and then kind of through others, probably over a hundred people. And so he has to have these conversations regularly so he gets more practice. And when you get more practice, you get better at it. So I've invited him here today. If you want to go into like the theoretical points of why it's important for your 
company culture, why it's important for you in terms of dealing with feedback and having these difficult conversations. Listen to the last podcast if you want to go in there. Today, we're going to try to focus a little bit on specifics that can help people get a little bit better at this. So first of all, Tom, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here, Christine. Good. And tell me, where are you coming from today, first of all? Because I know we're also hybrid. I know. Where am I currently? Yeah. I'm in the beautiful city called Ljubljana in Slovenia, in Europe, just connected to Italy and Croatia there. It's borders, that little pocket, middle Europe. Um, Yeah, it's nice. Well, welcome to our podcast from Ljubljana. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So I'm curious as to some of your top tips in things that make it a little bit easier for you to have these difficult conversations. I'll jump in with some of mine as you give me some of yours, but I'm curious because you have to have them a lot in your role. What are some of your top tips? Yeah, thank you. So yeah, you mentioned a moment ago that there's guidance that you give to someone where you you expect results like the next day. And that can be a really quick type of feedback. It's like that little nudge that you mentioned. So what's an example of that? Well, you know, someone's showing up late to meetings. You need them to be on time. What's the reason you need them to be on time impacts other people in terms of their capacity to do their jobs and be effective. And uh, you're you're trying to make meetings short. So communicating that to them, like, can you show up on time next time? Because we're trying to make these 20 minute meetings so that everybody can get back to work. But by being five minutes late, you're making it longer. Everybody has to wait, whatever the reason is. So that's like a quick nudge and they should be able to perform better on that. The next session, the next time you have a meeting, another type of nudge could be that you see something that someone's doing really well and you're just nudging them to keep doing that. But usually these things take, could be 10 seconds. I actually try to aim for like 10, 15 second feedback for that kind of stuff. I love it. I love that you're timing yourself. I do. Yeah. It's always a challenge to make it short and effective, not short and ineffective, but short and effective. Yeah. And uh, you know, what's funny is that you say that these are easy, but sometimes I have new managers that'll say to me in one of our workshops that they aren't even having those conversations. So for instance, one of the things that I'll hear is like, oh, I have employees that in our meeting or in our one-on-one even, they're on their phones the whole time. And I'm just angry about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm resentful about it, but they don't even know how to talk to them about it because it feels like they shouldn't have to. Yeah. Right. Right. And so sometimes that is a very quick conversation that can be a nudge, so Mm -hmm. to speak, that maybe people are beating themselves up over or writing off people that they necessarily shouldn't. Yeah. But here's the funny thing about that. I love that example. So the reason I love this idea of impact is that I don't think as a supervisor that it's sufficient impact. You might disagree with me, but I don't think it's sufficient that the impact is that it annoys me or like, I can't go to someone and say, can you not look at your phone? Cause it annoys me. I can't look at someone and say, can you not look at your phone because of whatever I have to, before I even have that conversation with them, even if it's a 15 second conversation, I have to think to myself, what's really the impact on performance of the team? How does this impact our results? negatively that this person's looking at their phone. If I can't think of it, then maybe I, do I really need to give the feedback? It, maybe this is about me. Now I can name reasons why I think looking at your phone impacts performance. We could brainstorm it right now. But one, the first thing that pops up in my head is if you're looking at your phone, I don't know that you're actually listening to me and understanding the content. I need to have some kind of cue that people are actually hearing what I'm conveying so that we can just move on with the meeting or 
others see you on the phone and they might think that they can use the phone as well. And now I'm in a meeting with everybody using their phones. That doesn't work, obviously. You know, I'm trying to think of what the impact is. And I need to share that with them. I wanted to just jump in here for a second because it just reminds me of the episode on emotional intelligence. Because having the conversation, you know, you guys mentioned it in the first podcast. And if people didn't listen to that, they can go back and listen. Of connecting or asking the person where they are first. Because potentially like, oh, I'm on my phone because I'm taking notes. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, like you don't know why they're on the phone. So if you start from that place of... I think, Tom, you said it, where I don't know the answer, but I'm going to get the answer from you. Then we can have a better conversation. Yeah, like a place of curiosity. I love it. That was Tatiana Dominguez (laughs) joining us. Hey, Tati. (laughs) Tatiana is uh, our VP of operations and also one of our producers here today. So thanks, Tatiana, for jumping in. It's so true. She's also younger than Tom and I, so she can sometimes feel the young people's perspectives a little bit easier than we can. And that is true about technology. But I will say as the mother of a 17-year-old that's about to join some sort of workforce, even if it's part-time, I would very much appreciate all you young managers out there to feel free to tell him to get off of his phone. But also (laughs) he has heard this feedback before. So it's not going to be totally shocking. And it's important for him to hear why and also share if that's how he's taking notes or whatever. So so that's the other piece of this is that sometimes we feel like we're the only person that's had to tell this person it. But please give the feedback, believe in them that they can exist with technology and real people is very appreciated. So yes, thank you for that note. So that's the gentle nudge, but still takes practice, right? Yeah. And I think what Tatiana brings up is important too, because that while what we're going to share are like step-by-step guidance on how to do these things. It's messier than that when you're in the moment. So sometimes you'll pull from something from the coaching if this turns into an actual more than just feedback, because really what you should be is curious and finding out what the root cause is of the behavior. Yeah. I've had this conversation with people before specifically about their phones and they've said to me, I'm sorry, it's just that my father's having surgery right now and I'm very distracted waiting for a message to see how it went. Well, that changes my attitude about it altogether. Right. But then what I can say is, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Please let me know how he's doing. And anytime that you need to be checking for that, just let me know ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And I'll make sure that you have whatever time you need to either step out of the room to go give a call. But it allows us to say yes, and bring that to me earlier so that we can actually even make it better than just it's okay after the fact. Here's a funny thing too, nuance, but we can go on forever with the nuances. This is one of the reasons why they're scary. There's so many nuances when you start. It seems simple. You dive into it. It's like infinite. But you might as a manager think, hmm, that's funny. They were checking their phone the last meeting. Did their father have a problem last meeting? Like Mm. that might enter your mind. And for all you know, they're actually looking at Facebook and this is like, they're giving you another excuse or Instagram. Sorry, Facebook is aging me, but um, that they're on, yeah, TikTok, whatever. So whatever social media that they're on, right? They're using social media. That's possible. My assumption has to be that they're telling the truth and I have to operate from the assumption of that. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But the main thing I need to do is change the behavior over time so that, you know, and if the third time we're in a meeting and they have their phone out, then I need to do a longer session. I need to actually call them in and have like a 20, 30 minute session where we're actually doing a coaching and we'll talk about that. So, yeah. So with a quick feedback, 
again, pulling this from, you know, ultimately I, I got this from manager tools and I, and like I said earlier, I recommend it, but is the ask when it comes to corrective feedback, the quick nudges is now in a good time for me to offer you some feedback so that they know you're not just telling them about a sale that's happening, the sample sale. You're actually going to give them corrective feedback and that's what you want to talk about. So they're ready for it and they can tell you, no, now's not a good time, right? So you ask, is, is now a good time for feedback? Then you state the behavior, you state the impact. And you give them a directive, the thing that you'd like to see them do differently. And then you thank them and that's it. Is now an okay time for some feedback? Yes. Or if they say no, just lay off, choose a better time. But if they say yes, say, I see that you're using your phone. This is an important meeting. I need everybody just looking up so that we know that we're all attentive. And that's the reason, that's the impact. And then the directive, can you either take notes using a pencil or your laptop, even taking notes that way or some way if you have to take notes, but otherwise I just like to have people not on their phones, especially if you see them scrolling, you know, that's the, that's the, <laughs> but anyway, and then thank you. Okay. And how long is that usually? Yeah, that's a really quick one. 15 seconds, 30 seconds. It doesn't have to be long. It could be uncomfortable if it's too long, you know, but one thing I do is I don't face off with them. I try to stand sideways. I think, how can I reduce the feeling of conflict here? Sometimes physical positioning can do that. And then I just say it and then we move on. It's not a big deal. That's a really quick feedback. Now, again, if they continue to be on their phone the next meeting, it's a different conversation than a nudge, but, and then it progresses and we could talk about that. So short-term discomfort leading to long-term results yeah, and 100%. just ripping off that Band-Aid. I love the fact that you say it's not long because I think sometimes I have this problem, or at least I really did early on. I try to watch it now, but I want them to like me. So I talk way too much looking for them to be happy with whatever I said or to be, at least be okay with what I said. And so I keep talking until I can get that look in their eye. And that yeah. is the part where I always mess up. Like just get in and get out because it's uncomfortable maybe for them, but just rip yep. off that bandaid and get out and let them learn them, themselves. I love yeah. that feedback, Tom. Yeah. So we won't dwell too much on that. If people want more, they can go check out the Trinity at, at Manager Tools. We, we don't receive any you know, pay from them for, for saying that. It, it, is a, it is a good site, but let's dive into some stuff that has nothing to do with them and talk about the, if that's not working, let's dive into, what do you say we dive into the difficult conversation phase? Cause that's now where we're headed. I you love know, it. Even with this. What are your top tips for those, for those more yeah. difficult conversations? Now, context matters too. You know, this is like a difficult conversation that we're about to have. This model can be used even with your peers, with your boss. Like it's, it's kind of 360 that you can use this model. I've used it actually with my mother-in-law. You know, like when I've had a conversation with her, I actually used the wheel, the pre-work before talking and it set me up for success. So let's talk about that pre-work. So there's like 10 questions to ask yourself. I didn't make these up. Actually, Erica Petrelli at, at Leadership Program showed me these when I first started and I found it incredibly helpful. So this is the pre-work. Number one, you ask yourself, why do I need to have this conversation? You have to be able to articulate that. Number two, what are my assumptions? That's really important to ask yourself, like what assumptions do I have about this? Number three, what have I contributed? How have I contributed to this problem? Four, what outcome do I want from this conversation? What are my goals? Five, when am I going to have this conversation and where? Like where and when is the best to have this conversation? Six, how might they react and how will I respond based on their reaction? Like thinking about that ahead of time is good. Like to have some kind of plan based on possible responses. 
What do I need to watch out for in myself is number seven. Number eight, whose input do I need? So can I seek someone else's input? I always do this. I go to someone else and I say, hey, I'm having this problem. What do you think? How should I handle it? Number nine, how would I want to be treated? And number 10, if this doesn't work, what's next? So I answer those questions before I have the session with them. And it really sets me up much more for success. So like your preparation, you're not having this with them. You're doing this as like I don't do that in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Like at least the day before I've done this. Usually these meetings are scheduled. You know, I don't just spontaneously have one of these. I say, hey, let's talk tomorrow. What's it about? I just want to, you know, sort of go over some of the protocols or whatever it is. But yeah, I'll schedule it so that we're all ready for it. If you want those, we have them in the liner notes. Tatiana will put them there. It's a difficult conversations wheel that we use for preparation. If you want that to download that, check out the liner notes. Thanks for adding that, Tom. Tom, just because I have to, one of the people that was my mentor in having difficult conversations was my mom. She was fantastic at it. (laughs) First, First of all, from a sad note, I remember one of probably the most difficult conversation that anyone ever had to have in my life was with my mom when she told me that my parents were getting divorced, right? When I was 11 years old or whatever. So I remember that conversation. And I also know now as an adult, how much time and preparation she must have put into that conversation before she had it with me, right? I will say that she was also very high up in leadership at a big multi-million dollar corporation. And one of the things that she always taught me when I was coming up and struggling with how to have a difficult conversation is she told me three things. And my mother's great at coming up with things in threes because, you know, it's very easy to remember. One thing she said, first tip, Christine, no matter what, you stay grounded. You go into that conversation grounded. You're breathing. You're you're mindful, right? Number two, you say what you need to say in the first sentence. Yes. So that you are not beating around the bush and they are sitting there going, why is she calling me in Mm -hmm. here? They're waiting for the guillotine to drop, right? You say it in the first sentence and you have that sentence rehearsed. And three, it's no more than 20 minutes at the maximum. And you watch that clock to know if you are rambling on and off because you, no matter what the conversation is, it should be able to be had in either 20 seconds, like you said, Tom, (laughs) or 20 minutes at the most. After that, if that conversation becomes either about me, the person speaking, and it shouldn't be, it should be about them and me feeling good about this conversation ending, or two, if it's going longer than 20 minutes, they're spinning and you're not getting anywhere. So she said to me, If that's happening after 20 minutes, you find a way to say, listen, I know this is a lot to take in right now. Why don't we take some time and think about it, sleep on it, and come back and talk about it tomorrow if you want. My calendar's open tomorrow. Reach out to me if you want to talk more about this tomorrow after we've had some space around it. That has always worked for me. So I always think about my mom's rules. Mama's rules. Christine's mom's rules. They work. So anyway, I love that your first tip, conversation wheel of preparation, because preparation is absolutely important. What's another one? So yeah, so that's the pre-work. I love what you described, Christine, and, and you've told me that before, and I use it all the time. The last thing you want to do in one of these, there's different kinds of difficult conversations. You know, there's every variety, but I think what we're focusing on more with this session is like, how do I have a difficult conversation with someone that I manage, right? And that's what you're describing, as opposed to a difficult conversation with a peer or a colleague, where 
that might be something we just need to be more free form. Yeah. Once you have the conversation, you still do this pre-work, but then you can just start the conversation with them. But it's not, there isn't a power differential. Mm. But if I'm going to sit down with a direct report, yeah, it's a big mistake. There's two big mistakes that people make. One is they avoid jumping right in because they think they need to ask about how are they doing this summer? What's going on in their lives? And that's just really confusing for the person. They're like, I know I'm not here to talk about this. So it's just making them feel more and more anxiety. And the other is once you say it and you see the look on their face of whatever they're feeling that you say, I'm sorry, you know, you apologize because there's no reason to apologize. You're giving them a gift you're actually gifting them like you did for me, you know, those years ago. You didn't say, I'm sorry to tell you this. Like you told me. So I think it's important to avoid the feeling of wanting to apologize, avoiding that, do not say you're sorry, and definitely jump straight to it. So if we're talking about a difficult conversation, as in, I've given you some like nudges and those nudges aren't working. And now it's a deeper thing, which might be that you're not responding to my feedback. Like if the feedback is not impacting your performance you're repeating to do the same thing, or it's even maybe a little bit insubordinate that you keep doing the thing. Like if you go to the next meeting and they're scrolling again, and like you see Facebook or whatever, you know, like then they're not following your guidance at all. And it's kind of an important part of your job is that you do what your boss is guiding you to do. And that's essential to every organization. So that might then lead to this collaborative coaching model. So you've done your pre-work, but now when you sit down, the actual stages are essentially exactly as you described there, Christine. You state the problem. And then I would also say you state the impact. So that's number one. Start right off. It's good to see you. We're here today because of X, right? Then number two totally changes the framing then from that point on. And I'll tell them that I want to collaborate with them on figuring out like the root causes of this. We're going to collaborate on setting a goal together for how to improve on it. And we're actually going to collaborate on creating a plan. So those are what we're going to do in that meeting. And I'll tell them, we're going to do this collaboratively because I have certain assumptions about why you might be doing this thing, whatever it is. And often I'm wrong all the time. My assumptions are often wrong, usually. So, so basically I want to first talk to you about what might be causing it. Then we'll set some goals for, to improve and then we'll create a plan for how to achieve them. Does that sound good? You're like, yeah, that sounds great. They're being supported. They're not being scolded. I've torn off the Band-Aid immediately. I said, this is the problem. We're going to work together to fix it. And if they're like, no, I don't want to work together with you on it, then, <laughs> then that's a different conversation after that. And it's possible. And then maybe that's not the right person for the job and you have to go through a different process. But this works. I have just seen this work over and over and over again is that people walk away smiling because they're like, whoa, I was heard. So some questions that I would use, some like starter questions. Everybody can, I recommend that you have your own starter questions ready, that you prepare your own, but here's some possible starter questions, you know, for the collaborating on determining root causes. One statement could be, I want to figure out with you what might be causing this. I want to work with you to find out what, can you tell me a little bit about why this is happening? Again, because I'm having my assumptions and I don't want to operate on assumptions. So then they talk. And yeah, it might be one thing that I've heard in the past is sunk with lateness, repeated lateness, which I thought I was getting to the point where I thought I was being disrespected by their lateness. And they just opened up and they said, I have a newborn child. They're really fussy and my child's often sick. And I never know when that's going to happen. 
and I sincerely want to be here on time and I'm struggling to deal with this issue. And then to your point, Christine, I'm like, okay, cool. So let's figure something of like, maybe there's a way we can work together on this. And then we talk and we set a goal that's realistic. But if I know now in advance what the problem is really, not just the one I've made up in my head, the root cause of the problem, now we can start working on realistic goals and create a plan to achieve it. One thing that someone told me is that they were late. The thing shows them they'll be here on time and it never is. And I asked them what app they're using. They're using some app that actually isn't very accurate. I had them install the app that I use for transportation in New York. They installed the app. From then on, they were on time because the information they were getting from their app was accurate. It had nothing to do with them. You know, like that solved the problem. And we collaboratively worked on that together and set them up for success. So then the next step after you do the plan is they act and then you observe their performance, you check, and then you offer them feedback again on that. One of the things I, I just want to add, because you helped me with this, because you, you reiterate this idea all the time. And I've heard it from like child psychologists to performance coaches, but you really focus on it in your feedback. And what I love is that you always say, focus on future behavior, not just dwelling on the past and blame, Oh yeah, but really get away from like that blame shame culture into like, what do we want to change about future performance? And I think that really shifts things in people's minds when, and even in my mind in giving it, it's, it's helped me with my kids even, you know. It's 100% about the future. All feedback, all feedback is about the future because my job is to impact future performance. And Christine, you don't pay me to be right. You've never sat down in a performance review at the end of the year and said, Tom, these were all the times you were right. You like, want me you to, but I right. haven't. I would love it. I would love it. Maybe we can build that into our next, uh, we got to build that into the actual let me take document. A, let me take a All note. the times Tom was right. <laughs> that would be amazing. Unfortunately, I think it might be lower than I hope, but because um, <laughs> I'm wrong often, which is why this is so important. But yeah, we mentioned it before, that feeling of being right. So it's not my job to be right. It's my job to impact the future performance because the past has happened. So I only mention the past enough to be able to create the frame for what I'm talking about. It has to come from something and the past is where my information comes from, but not the point of this coaching session. The point of the coaching session, the point of all the feedback is that the next time there's improvement in their performance. So that's what my eyes have to be set on. And the reason that's important, this is how that changes my behavior. It's keeping that as a philosophy and as a state of mind for myself changes this behavior. I'm sitting down, you're arguing with me, okay? You're disagreeing with what I'm saying as the problem or whatever it is. That's okay, that's fine. Like, I'm not gonna dwell on the past. I'm actually going to let you win because all I really need is for you to do this stuff in the future. I'll eat it. I know I'm right, but who cares? Like, I'm not going to argue in order that I can be right. I think in my head, I have to be right in order to justify this conversation. I don't. This conversation is about future performance. So I only have to be right that what I'm conveying is going to improve future performance. And one thing that's not going to help that is me winning an argument with you. Like, I don't have to win. I really don't. And I love, I freaking love to win, Christine, but I don't have to. I have to let that go. 
That doesn't help me in my marriage. Where does that help you? Winning arguments. Where does it help? So, so anyway, yeah, absolutely. It's about the future. When I state the problem, I'm stating the impact. I'm collaborating with them on determining the root cause. I'm collaboratively setting a goal with them that's realistic for improvement. And I'm collaboratively creating a plan for how to achieve it. Then they perform, they act, and then I check. And then the cycle begins again. You know, I offer feedback. Might be affirming feedback. Hopefully it is. Like, hey, I noticed this whole meeting. You never pulled out your phone. That was great. Thank you. I could clearly see that you were in the zone, in the meeting with us. And it really helped our dynamic. And honestly, I had more ideas because I wasn't distracted by the phone. And it felt to me like we were more cohesive as a group. So I'm able to offer that affirming feedback based on what I see. Yeah. What's another one? One that I have that when you were speaking, it reminded me, if you want to get good at giving feedback, right? And we all want to get good fast. The only way is to go through it, to actually practice it, right? To be bad a lot of times before we start to get better. And that's hard. We think that we can just get better at it in our room or in our office, but the only way you get better at it is actually interacting it with people. And that can feel difficult. But if you want to get good at giving feedback, get good at asking for feedback. Yes. I think people that, for instance, that report to me, like yourself, you guys are pretty good at asking for feedback even before it has to be given. And that is preparation for how this process can go. I think that's a key one all the time. 100%. And then it's important that you, Christine, are not yelling at us. If you offered feedback, like you then demonstrate how feedback is done. And then I learn from that. And then I can do that for my directs. That's why I think it works in our organization is because it's top. It, it, it's everywhere. There's, yeah, there's no one that's, that's scolding. We mess up. Sometimes I do have scolded in the past, sure. right? And then mm-hmm. I have to come back with a really difficult conversation of apology or of recognizing it, or sometimes I'm stuck in it and I still think I'm right. And I have to have somebody else say, Hey, you know, this, this isn't good. Like you didn't handle this well. And then I've got to have some many more difficult conversations, (laughs) but okay. (laughs) So I love these tips so far. What's another one you got? Okay. So another tip would be, and this is something that might be crossing people's minds. Like, okay, it's all nice. Let's say that I have direct reports who are very resistant to feedback. That's a reality. Someone who you want to offer them feedback. I've had experiences where I've offered affirming feedback and the person has kind of felt like I'm being manipulative. Like, you don't have to coddle me. And I explain, they literally said, like, I see why you're doing that. I don't need that. And I'll tell them, like, the reason I give you affirming feedback is not to make you feel good. I would give you affirming feedback if it didn't feel good. I'm giving you affirming feedback because I want to let you know the things that you're doing that are exactly right so that you keep doing them. That's the only reason. I, I'm really happy. So that I'm glad it, <laughs> I'm glad it makes you happy. Well, I'm harsh because it's, because it's ridiculous, right? Everybody wants, who doesn't want the positive feedback? So it sounds harsh, but there's nobody that doesn't want it. There's people that are suspicious about my motivations. And I want to be clear. My motivation is actually not to coddle you or to manipulate you. My motivation is that you have clarity. That's it. And the great news about it is that for most people, they go like, oh, that's cool. I'm seen. I'm valued. What I do matters. (laughs) I love this. But that's actually actually not the core reason why I do it. I do it to get results. We're so selfish. 
it, <laughs> we're so different, Tom. I love it. Um, yes. And yeah, I think ultimately we're going in the same direction. Our methods are just so different, but I love it. I love it. And yeah. I, it, our it rationale is different. I think our methods are the same, but, but how would you respond to that, Christine? How would I respond to what? How would you respond to, to a direct report saying, look, you don't need to give me positive feedback. I, I think it's a little manipulative. You're just trying to coddle. I don't need to be coddled. I mean, first of all, no one's ever said that to me. I think <laughs> someone said that to someone me. Someone said that That's to why you? I'm even meant. It's not, it's not theoretical. I heard that. Wow. No, people. That's, that's why I'm saying like, I'm, I don't do it to coddle you. Wow. No, everybody, everybody wants me to coddle them. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> You're like, doesn't it? <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. But the, yeah, I, know. I find that usually Tatiana, she wants to say something. Yes, Tati. <laughs> I think, I don't know that someone said it to me quite like Tom is saying it, but I think if, especially in a relationship that maybe is already a little shaky, I would hear something like that. That feedback would be like, you don't, you know, you don't have to tell me good things just to get me to do my job mm. or something like that. I think it just goes back again to what Tom was saying is just like, no, I do believe that you can do a good job. And I'm showing you the things that I see that you are doing so that you can, because I think it's about building trust that anything that I tell you is true. And that I see the good and I see the bad. And so the way that I temper the bad is that I'm also looking for the good because I want to make sure that you're building on your strengths and that maybe if something's hard or something's too difficult, that that might be the wrong Mm. thing for you to be doing. So what's really happening here? So it's not that I'm coddling you or trying to make you happy. I instead am trying to help you grow and this is the way that I, I'm doing that is by showing right. you that I Feedback see Feedback as a gift. Yeah. I have someone who shows up to every meeting, they're five minutes early, right? And they do that all the time. It's an automatic for them. That's just the way that they do things. That's their own expectation. I want to give them feedback on that. I want to let them know why I value that. And not just that I value it, but how it impacts the team, like how it impacts performance, them being on time. And so that's affirming feedback. I'm not coddling them. I'm saying it because I want more of it. I want, I'm like, keep doing it. It's great. Thank you. I love that because when you said that, I just thought like, oh my God, I wouldn't even know if someone regularly showed up to my meetings five minutes early because I'm never there five minutes early. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to have a difficult conversation with you about that, Christine. Believe me, my husband has it all the time with me and, and Tatiana. I am, you know, that is definitely... I. Rarely late, but never early. (laughs) I love that. Okay. And that was a thanks, Tatiana, for jumping in there. Tatiana is one of our producers and our VP of operations who has a lot of experience in this subject as well. All right. So. And it's funny, Christine, she's right when she jumped in, something popped in my head and I was like, say it out loud or you'll forget it. And then I forgot it. So it's going to come back to me. But let's keep talking. There's something really important in there. They can't remember. It'll pop in. All right, old man. You'll think of it soon. Um, (laughs) I think some of the, I'm just going to jump in with, before we forget, some of the mistakes, like some of the things that you can say are wrong that people have taught me before. So one, some of the things that I've made mistakes on embarrassingly, but I think 
others do this too. One is I've said to somebody when have giving them very difficult conversations, maybe even a termination, like firing them, I have made the mistake of saying to them, mm. this is really hard for me. <laughs> Who cares if it's hard for you? <laughs> right? But I irrelevant. have actually said that and, and really somehow made it that people have to take care of me now, right? In firing. Yeah, it's the that's worst. Amazing. I've said yeah, that to But it's people. a human impulse. To say, it's this a human is really impulse. hard that, for me. That's amazing. I've also said mm-hmm. to people on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's not personal. Like if I feel them getting very emotional or them combating this in some way, instead of listening to them and just keeping my mouth shut, I've said those terrible words of it's not personal. And the reality is everything feels personal, especially personal, a yeah. difficult conversation. Another thing I said early, early on, and my HR gurus that I worked with early on helped me learn the mistake of this term. I've told somebody that they had a bad attitude and there is almost nothing more enraging and debatable Mm -hmm. than attitude, right? We all come to that with our different backgrounds, our different ways that we see you know, that term attitude, and there is nothing that will inflame or put people on defensive, like talking about attitude. So if you want, if your impulse is to talk about their bad attitude, start to define what that is in behavior and talk only about behavior. Don't even let the word attitude come in to the mix. So that was a hard one for me to learn. And then this last one is embarrassing. And I don't even like saying it because it feels so vulnerable, but I made the mistake early on in my leadership. Confessions, leadership confessions. This is, this here, is a confession. I was talking to a guy who worked with me who was really funny, right? He had a great sense of humor. I like to joke around. He liked to joke around. We were joking around in the office and my happened to be that my stepdad was at the office that day working on, he's a handyman. So he was helping, I mean, he was also a salesman, but in his later years, he was a handyman. So he was like fixing something, like fixing a blind in our office or whatever, right? He was helping fix stuff around our office. He overheard this conversation. And in this conversation, I was joking with the guy, the employee that worked for me. And I said something to the effect of like, you know, you're fired or I would fire you or something like that. Hmm joking. Mm -hmm. He was laughing, joked around. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, my stepdad pops his head in after the guy leaves and he goes, you can never say that. You can't. And I was like, what? Wow. And I was very defensive. I still haven't talked to my stepdad about that. This made an impact on me because I was really defensive in the moment. And I I go, we have that relationship where he knows I'm joking around. I'm joking. Of course, I'm not going to fire him. And Mark and my stepdad said, it doesn't matter. You're in a position of power. You can never say that. Because you don't know how those words land later. Of course, they're going to laugh, but you can never say those words in joking. And I was, I still pretended like I didn't care what he said or that it made any difference to me. <laughs> but I slept on those words. It affected me greatly. I still think about it. I'm sh- I'm like uh, embarrassed about it. And I think about it all the time. And I think about it and I listen for it in my company. And if I hear people joking around who have any position to actually fire someone, you can't joke about it. You can't say it. Yeah. I think what's important about you sharing that is. This happened to me. This happened to me, Tatiana. This happened to me. The last time you spoke, I had the idea and then it went away. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's like the the uh, oh yeah I hope thing. we I hope we keep that right. don't edit that out um, that's beautiful Tati jump jump in whenever 
You know, one other thing, Christine, that I think is super important, and unfortunately, I don't have the, the study in front of me, so maybe we could find it and put it in the notes later. There's some science behind this statement that says that when offering feedback, the same feedback to one group, and then you have a control group. There's a control group that's just getting feedback, same line of feedback as everybody else in this control group. And then another group where the person offering the feedback starts out by saying, I'm giving you this feedback because I believe in you. That the group that got the, I'm giving you this feedback because I believe in you statement, that's all, it was just the same statement to everybody. Their results were much higher in terms of the actual change in performance and the response to the feedback than the first group. Now, the cool thing and how this connects to what we were talking about before is that, so we have to find that study, put it in the notes. But one thing that we were talking about before is that that's pretty convenient because I sincerely, as I said before, I sincerely believe in everybody that all of my direct reports, I believe in every one of them. And if someone gets on my last nerve, I still really believe in their performance. So I'm being authentic when I tell them like, you're receiving this information because we believe in you. If we didn't believe in you, we wouldn't give you feedback, you know? And so that's a really key point to bring up, not in the, you can bring it up in these like, you know, smaller nudges, but it's really essential to mention that during the collaborative coaching model or anytime when you're sitting down to give a direct report guidance for a larger picture thing. That's great. Larger picture thing could be repeatedly showing up later, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I think I have a a son who's an athlete. And one of the ways that I see this is that I was reading in some of the work by Marcus Goodman and Ashley Goodall, which who I love. They're two researchers. And one of the things that they talk about in their book, Nine Lies About Work, is Tom Landry, who was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm, I was a Dallas Cowboy fan at the time that, that Tom Landry nice. was coaching because I'm from Dallas, is that one of the things that he would do with his film, he would film the games, of course, like all professional athletes do. He would show them back the parts that they did well. He would not show them their mistakes. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. I remember this. And what's so great about that is that he found that if you showed them their mistakes over and over again, right on a reel, literally a reel of replaying mm-hmm. that, that they were more often to make those same mistakes. Right. But if you focused right. their attention on the positive things they did well, then they were more likely to do those positive things. And I thought that was so powerful because we often think that we just need to focus on all of our bad things and that somehow we can then control them. But if we can get people rather to focus on some of those positive things and then also coach them like a coach would on things that they can get better at, we're going to have better results. So, you know, as we talk about these difficult conversations, you have to know that you're balancing three to one, those positive things that, that they need to be seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And Christine, there's a quote that I love from uh, when I was playing music, which is what you practice, you become. Mm. So, you know, when I would practice drums and I would be working through some really hard passages and scowling and, you know, my muscles are getting tight because I'm working through something difficult. I become a drummer whose muscles are tight and who scowls (laughs) because I'm practicing that as well. I don't realize it, but that's what I'm practicing. And so it's important when you think about how you give feedback that you're also reflecting on your own feeling. Mm. You know, that's, you want to be someone who offers feedback casually and comfortably or with a smile, you know, you can put your, you practice that as well. That's great. Like, because you can become that. Tatiana Dominguez, you had a thought? 
Yeah, I wanted to go back to your story about your stepfather and the conversation. I think it links perfectly that you didn't want to give him any reaction or that he doesn't even still know that that message impacted you, right? And Tom was saying this and it's important and it links back to why the time is important, like keeping it within a time is that some people won't give you anything. So like if you're looking for some affirmation that they heard you, you just have to believe that you've delivered the message and then look for evidence that you did. Yeah, Tati, that nails it. And that just goes back to that conversation of I'm paying attention to everything, the good and the bad. So if I've told you something and you're just going to stare at me with a blank face and I believe that my message is right and that I gave it correctly, I did my prep work. Okay, we're done. If you want to talk more about this, talk to me. I'm here. And then you're just looking for evidence that your feedback has landed or that it hasn't because the conversation is not, I think that's a mistake sometimes is that the conversation hasn't stopped. Like feedback is continuous and it should always be happening. So it's not that this is the time for feedback and this is the time for fun, but (laughs) this is, we could always be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, I didn't even look at it this way when you, when you brought that up, that example, Christine, is that that's a great example of feedback and response from somebody is that your dad was giving you feedback and then you had this response and your response was kind of more in the sort of primitive childlike state or, you know, reptilian, whatever part of the brain that you know, because you've studied this stuff about neuroscience and how we respond to threats and so you're in that state of mind. That's why it's so important to not argue with your direct when you give them this kind of thing, because if it could be that they're now in that state of mind. So nothing positive is going to come from an argument. Nothing's positive going to come from you winning. It's just let it go. Because to Tati's point, you got to check for the results later. That's the important thing. Like, okay, you threw the ball towards the net. Now you've got to watch if it lands, but it might not land in that moment. Yeah, that's a good point. I used a sports analogy, Christine. Very good, Tom. Isn't that exciting? Uh, <laughs> For people, I, I'm not really a sports guy, so so that's why that's funny. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, Christine. I appreciate you stretching, Tom. <laughs> Doing I, my best. I think that that's a really good point. Like I was having to take feedback in that moment and not taking it well, but it landed. Yeah. And often I will hear what Tatiana is saying from people years later, because I've had the pleasure and the privilege of working in my company for so long that I've really seen people grow up, right? Is they'll say things to me of feedback I gave them that I have no memory of most of the time. And they'll say how it impacted them, similar to my story that I just shared about my stepdad, whereas I felt like they didn't hit, I didn't land with them at all. But to them, it was like a really important moment. And I love getting that feedback because it's really good for me to remember that when I don't want to have a difficult conversation now. I have to trick my brain. I have to come up with tricks of how can I make sure I have this conversation because that's still at in my 50s, I still want to avoid difficult conversations for fear, for lots of fears. Absolutely. But if you look back on your life, what are the things that have made you grow most in your life that you value more than anything are conversations that were hard where you had to grow, look at yourself or deepen the relationship. Yeah. One thing that I think, I know this conversation's actionable stuff, right? So I'm going to steer away from some theory, but I do want to say one thing that I would really advise 
folks. And, and something that makes my conversations more successful is when I get away from the idea of I'm the coach and you're the first coachee. I'm the one sharing the knowledge. You're gaining the knowledge as I share it with you. When it becomes collaborative, and there are certain meetings that aren't collaborative, right? There are certain long conversations where it's basically at a different stage and it's no longer collaborative. It's like these things need to get done for us to work together in the future. Like that kind of thing, not phrased like I just said it, but that can happen, right? Obviously. But in your coaching sessions with someone to change behavior that you want to see long-term, it's not something they can change tomorrow usually, but it's something that it might take longer that you're approaching it from a collaborative point of view and a curious point of view that that changes everything. Yeah. And so that's why the collaborative coaching model, I think is so useful. Again, stating the problem and the impact, then collaborating with them on determining the root causes, then collaboratively setting a goal and then collaboratively creating a plan. It's not paternalistic. And then again, they act, you check, and then you give them future feedback on it. But yeah, just that going in with that model is something that I highly recommend. And if not that model, at least the approach of collaboration. Yeah, they'll get more out of it. You'll be a better manager and you're going to see more career growth for yourself because people that are good at this are rare. And the yeah. only people that are good at it are people that practice it. And if you yeah. get better at it faster, you're going to see your leadership grow. And if you can trust that it might not be easy, but it will bear fruit <laughs> later on, maybe you can also trick your mind into doing it more often, right? You sleep better. Short-term discomfort for long-term results. That's what, you know, it works. It works when you're sleep training a baby. It works when you're managing people. It works when you're having a conversation with your spouse. Whatever it is, you, you have to be willing to go through the muck a little bit. And sometimes it can become really fun, especially if you know each other really well and you can be self-reflective and the defenses can come down. And I think that's the part where you get to a part in your relationship where it doesn't have to feel so heavy, where it can feel a little bit lighter. Yeah, That's where I'm trying to go for now in my life is how does this not have to feel so heavy? How can it feel just a part of everything? Not good, not bad, not putting labels on it. It's just, it is. Including uh, your mistakes, including your mistakes. Including it, yeah. And I think it's also important that when you do make a mistake that you recognize it with your direct. Yeah. Like it's okay to make mistakes, but it's really nice to model transparency about it, not shame. Not shame, yeah. The last tip that I have, and then I'll ask you for your last thought before we zip up, is the last tip that I have is to ask people at the very beginning of your relationship and then check in every so often, how do you like to get feedback? How do you prefer feedback? And people don't always know, but at least they know you're interested in that conversation so that maybe if you do mess up or you're not so great at it a couple of times, they know, well, wait, she did ask me how I like it. Now maybe I know I don't like that. Let me talk to her about it. Or yes, this, I appreciate this. Because I think we can make a lot of assumptions, but a lot of people, you know, like it differently than we do. I have difficulty with feedback. I want it and I need it, but I like to hear it, think about it, think about it on my own, come back and talk to that person sometimes about it later. Some people want it regularly all the time. Some people want it in emails. Some people want it given. You know, just asking them how they want that feedback before there's an issue, I think could be very helpful. All right, Tom, what's your last tip before we end for today? Well, my last tip actually, and it's something based on what you just said, is yet choosing the right medium 
that's another mistake that I've made is offering feedback via email and then email is just really clunky. Mm. Like feedback is nuanced. People don't get the nuance at all through text or email or whatever. It can be easily misunderstood. I feel like email raises the risk of misinterpretation. And the one thing I'm trying to do with all these steps is lowering my risk of conflict. Email increases the risk of conflict and misunderstanding of what the message is. And you also, you can't, you have no idea how they took it because you can't see their face. There's no way to gauge it. So I do recommend giving feedback as much as you can in person, by phone, you know, by Zoom is okay. I kind of prefer phone, not because I'm old school. Phone's actually more accurate. You're, it's easy to misunderstand someone's face over Zoom you get more accurate information. It's less information, but it's more accurate by phone. Oh, Tom, you're such a computer. I could never do that. It's so funny. I mean, I I hope I could do it, you know, but it's so interesting. Like I want to see their faces. I'm such a, I'm such a reader of people. I would find that hard, but that's interesting that that maybe mucks it up for you a little bit. Well, again, there's science behind what I'm saying that you, you get a lot of information from a video from Zoom, for example, you get a lot of information, but it's less accurate. Like you can easily misunderstand a cue that's a facial cue when it's over Zoom, but you get less information from hearing someone's voice, but it's actually pretty accurate what you're, the information. It's harder to misunderstand it. Does that make sense? No, not to me. <laughs> but you know what? We're a whole nother cast. That's, that's the beauty of I think we that's can okay. argue this in a whole in a podcast on its own. Yeah, the problem with Zoom is that you can manipulate your reactions. Because if there's some sort of delay or you can say there's a delay, you know, you could have internet problems. You know, there's a whole bunch of things you could change your appearance. Wow. You, you can know. you can look uninterested, but that's just because you can't see everything else. It's inaccurate information. Right, because you could assume that someone's in a room by themselves and they're in their middle oh, of their living true. room just getting fired. That's true. Yeah, but I mean, and so they're like, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and somehow it's terrible. Oh God, yes. Well, I assume if you're terminating someone, probably on Zoom is not a great idea. All right, well, Tom, <laughs> we will argue all of this later in a future podcast. Um, but I want to thank you for. You're right. You're right. No, don't say that. <laughs> Now I'm going to have to get feedback afterwards. No, I didn't let you have a voice. Um, all right, Tom. Tom, thank you so much for being thanks, here today. Christine. Thanks, Tatiana. Yeah, and thanks, Tatiana, for being here. And Richard, who's our main producer back there. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for joining us. Go back and listen to the last episode if you want to hear more. We also have more and more episodes in the queue. We appreciate any of your feedback. And also, if you have ideas on podcasts or topics you'd like to hear, we'd love to get that information too. But jump in to those difficult conversations and just start having them. Start practicing. Tom, where's your drum? You got to play a little bit of music for us on the way out. Ready? Even if you play it on your I microphone have, uh, with your finger, I don't care. Oh my gosh. Come on, come on, on the spot. Um, Ready? Where's our? It's not gonna. Music? It's not, I mean, I have a mug. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Use what you got, Tom. But I, I know I'm trying to find a oh, thing. You are not prepared. Oh, here we go. Beautiful. <laughs> That was awesome. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot. And that is better than I could have ever tapped on my mug. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Hey, everybody. Greg Shammy here. 
As we're closing out today's episode, I've got an awesome opportunity for your new managers and people leaders. Starting May 1st, our transformative eight-week online course called Leadership Learning Lab will kick off. In this course, managers will learn how to build trust and engage their teams, communicate more effectively, and empower themselves and others to achieve success. Imagine if early in your career you had learned how to master the art of impactful feedback, or how to navigate performance conversations with ease, and even how to delegate effectively. This course is an investment in your team to help your company grow and achieve ultimate success. It's an opportunity that will help your people transform their leadership skills in just eight weeks. Spots are limited. Pre-sales open right now. This is a chance to get ahead and secure spots for your team members at a 10% discount. Use the code PRESALE, one word. Click on the link in the show notes for more info. And thank you so much for joining Christine today. I look forward to seeing your team in our Leadership Learning Lab.